Hello, everyone, and welcome to Human is My Label. This is your host, Emily Purry, and I have an amazing and awesome and extra special guest today, my husband, Jameson Purry. Welcome, Jameson. <laughs> hey, hey, what's going on? Hey, everybody, this is Jameson. Yes, indeed, we are in separate rooms, and we are doing a podcast together as if this is a absolutely entirely real interview, and honestly, it is. He doesn't know what I'm asking him, and... Who knows what he will say, honestly. <laughs> so thank you all for joining me today. Today we are really diving into the intersectionality of equity. And for those of you who haven't joined us before, my identity is as I'm a white woman and I have a disability. I have macular degeneration. I'm legally blind. And Jameson, how do you identify? Uh, I identify, well, let's go by um, what everybody's using now, cisgender, he, him pronouns. I, I say African-American, a lot of folks nowadays are saying black, and um, I identify as a veteran, disabled veteran. And yeah, I'm just, I'm me, man, I'm Jameson. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so we live in a household, we have three children, and we live a quote-unquote normal life, whatever that means these days. And so today we really wanted to bring forth a lot of the challenges our both of our identities bring to this marriage, um, the, the things that we see in common with our identities, though they are completely opposite and obviously apparent in the opposition, um, and figuring out how we all can work together, you know, um, we look more, we live our lives through the lens of all oppression is connected, as Audre Lorde often quotes, and we want to make sure we we show that. And a lot of people, especially in, you know, the Oregon area, don't experience the same life that we all do. And so I wanted to bring Jameson on to not only talk about our lives, but looking at the intersectionality of identities. And so when we're looking at a person of color, looking at a person who experiences disability, a veteran who experiences disability, as well as who is married to a white woman with disabilities, there's a lot of intersectionality and a lot of things we can talk about. And again, we have not uh, prepped for this at all, so it'll be interesting. Yeah, definitely not pre-gamed. <laughs> <laughs> And so, Jameson, I want to 
Oh, the first question I want to ask and to, you know, make sure we disclose to viewers, you know, you've always been black. So that's that's obvious. You've always right. been African-American. Right. Um, but most recently, what has changed in your diagnosis of a dis of of your identity? So um, I guess the the thing that's that's most recent to me that I kind of I didn't always know, but, you know, now it's got a name is, you know, I've been diagnosed with anxiety and depression. You know, growing up culturally in the black community, that's not really something we identified with or that that, you know, the mental health part is really kind of lacking from where I'm from. And it really wasn't something I grew up with, you know, and I also have ADHD. But, um, you know, kind of now identifying with it. Now I have a kind of a bridge to where I can kind of tackle it and address it, because if you never if you never know what you got and you never really dig a little bit deep, then you never can address and, uh, you know, like get over those hurdles. So, yeah. So, yeah. So this is something that's new to our relationship. Obviously, like Jameson said, he has always had signs of mental health um, challenges, issues, however you want to address them. Um, and this has come up in our marriage multiple times, but it wasn't until recently. Um, well, he's been diagnosed and had medication, but we always associated it to something that was going on in life, something we, you know, we're going through a stressful time, et cetera, et cetera. But we really dug back to where this stemmed from. And in his interview um, around his disability for the veteran services, it was really interesting to hear what the doctor said. And so Jameson, if you're comfortable sharing that, I would love to hear what that doctor's reaction was, obviously keeping everything <laughs> right. um, as confidential as, as possible, um, but making sure that people really understand what happened in that process. So really kind of the, the backstory here is, you know, I, I grew up, uh, you know, black kid in Alaska, African-American kid in Alaska, right? And a uh, single mom. My dad was in the military 19 years, got kicked out his 19th year. Um, the military back in the day had a zero tolerance for, for drugs. And my dad smoked weed and got kicked out and kind of downward spiral there. My parents separated, um, you know, so I was pretty much raised by my mom, you know, and she's, shoot, much credit to my mom. She's a gritty, strong African-American woman, does not make excuses. When things get tough, she buckles down and gets it done. And so I very much had that same mindset. But with that mindset, there was a lot of gaps, man. There's a whole lot of gaps. And, um, you know, really kind of addressing my own stuff and, you know, talking with uh, the mental health person there, you know, and really coming to terms with, okay, I might have some things I need to kind of address and not just try to power through mm. was, was definitely a tough and learning experience. And, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that I, that I finally come around to doing this. You know, I've, I've been a, um, a veteran service officer, which means I help veterans and their dependents apply for disability benefits, for pension benefits, et cetera, right? And I've been doing this for about six years now. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten pretty efficient at, at um, helping people navigate through their own trauma. And I've got pretty efficient with getting them connected with benefits, but at the same time, while I do that and find that very easy, when you have to dig down deep and address your own thing, it's a comp completely different ballgame because, you know, it's easy to tackle somebody else's problems or tell them what they need to do, give them a game plan. But when it's yourself, it creates a whole new world and a whole new piece of 
vulnerability within yourself to address. And, and man, it, it's been, it's been a whirlwind. Um, you know, I, I would honestly say, and this is kind of a little bit of a tangent, um, you coming into my life has been an absolute blessing and a growth process, painful, maybe for both of us, <laughs> but I've learned so much about myself, grown as a man, as a father, as a, as a, as a partner, and uh, yeah, you know, and really addressing some of the difficulties that I'm working with and, and developing strategies with the mental health provider and things of that sort, man, has been, has been uh, a beautiful thing. And it's funny, all of you out there, I'm sitting here tearing up about the stuff my husband is saying right now. And it's fascinating to realize the world I, as a white cisgender woman with a disability, grew up inside of, of the, the privilege that I've had. And my family is on the opposite end, of course, of the spectrum of Jameson's. We were highly emotional. When we needed to cry, we cried. When we needed to vent, we vented. When we needed to, you know, emotionally connect, that's what we did. And I went through counseling as a kid because my parents got divorced and we had other complications there that we needed to work through. And we had that outlet as children. And so counseling and, and whatnot has always been normal in my life, but on the opposite end of the spectrum for Jameson, it hasn't been. And so this is the, one of the big differences in our relationships of I talked to Jameson about counseling early in our marriage. I was like, hey, we're, I don't even think we were married when we first started, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but Jameson had been through marriage prior to me. And he said, you know what? I'll do anything. I don't want, I don't want to do this again. And I know I got issues and I know you got issues. And let's figure this out while we go. And I was all for it. Um, but it was looking at my privilege and saying, as a white and of course, West Hills woman of Portland, these were things that I had access to. And this, this was stuff I had access to. This not to say, as my mom raised us single, and my brother and I both have disabilities, we didn't have our challenges. However, as white folks in the West Hills of Portland, if anybody knows the West Hills, we were supposedly very wealthy. <laughs> um, but we had that privilege of access to services. And so when Jameson came into my life and we started talking and he was open to it and you know, he was ready, he was ready to receive it. It doesn't mean it was always fun. Good Lord, we Definitely both know not. that it wasn't, no. No. <laughs> um, but it's been a very interesting journey. Now, Jameson, just in the last two weeks, I mean, we really had this official uh, veteran diagnosis. You've been on medication for years, um, but it's never been associated to military service, which it obviously stemmed from. But how has it been, as you know, as you're the board on the board of directors of Rapid and you hear me talking about disability, how has it been accepting that on a personal level of you, Jameson Purry, the man of the house, the the ego of whoever you are, you know, how has it been accepting that mental health diagnosis from a from a, a deeper impact than you know your typical depression medication? So, 
that's kind of deep though so um, mm-hmm. <laughs> for me personally it's it's definitely been it, it, it gives me validation to some extent of what I've been feeling but never could put a name to it and um and I'm absolutely ready and willing to go through this journey. It's it's a forever journey. It's not like, you know, just because this happened now, okay, I, mm-hmm. I got a name to it and it's all over. No, there's such a, um, there is such a, a growth factor here of learning about mental health and wellness, not, not just for myself, but, you know, I look at it like this, right? Everything happens for a reason, you know, whether that, that journey be just for self-growth, etc. You know, I'm, I'm learning how to deal with certain things. I'm learning healthy ways to deal with certain things, but something of how it really hits home to me right now is like, um, I look at my, my son, it's my, my only son. Um, he's going through a lot right now and he's, he's definitely emotionally detached and, uh, you know, cause his mother, just, uh, his biological mother, uh, recently passed, uh, mm-hmm. due to COVID and watching him process and, and try to learn to deal with these certain things has really taught me as I go through things, I need to learn how to teach him how to be emotionally healthy, how to confront what you're feeling, how to deal mm-hmm. with these things. Because, um, and, and the way I look at it like that is uh, maybe some of the things that I'm going through, some of my life experiences, um, maybe weren't just there for me. Maybe that, mm-hmm. that, that reasoning is so that I can pass that knowledge on to my you know, to my son, to my children, per se, you know. Um, and so, so hold on, um, when your dad uh, passed, how old were you about, as you remember it? <laughs> so, yeah, my, my dad passed when I was probably 17, 18, and my dad passed from a drug overdose. And our son is? And my son is 17, mm-hmm. or our son is 17, mm-hmm. and, and his mom recently passed from COVID, and, and I see so many similarities there of different stories, definitely different stories, different uh, hurdles to overcome, but there's definitely a correlation there of learning how to express your emotions, do so in a healthy way, learning that it's okay to feel sad, it's okay to feel, it's okay to have emotions. You don't always have to be gritty and push through it, you know, because I, like I said, culturally how I grew up was like with the mindset that as a black man or a person, you have to work twice as hard to be equal Mm -hmm. with a white person. That's just how it, I mean, that may not be what everybody wants to hear, but that's just kind of how it was. You know, if you want to do something and you want to get somewhere, you got to suck it up and get, get it done. That's Mm -hmm. pretty much it. Though that may work (laughs) to some degree, there's a lot of emotional trauma that goes along with that, you know, by not really addressing the underlying issues. Mm -hmm. And, And I, and I even see that, sometimes with my son and some of the the ways that I've taught him as a young man to be, you know, just to push hard. If you want goals, you got to get it, but always um, giving that emotional piece uh, a backseat and never really addressing that. And this whole journey has been so eye-opening and so informative for me and how I deal with myself and also how I parent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, 
there's a lot there. It's it's hard to even right, right. <laughs> talk about the next question because it, it stems off parenting. It steps stems off yeah. your own acceptance of who you are Absolutely. now and who you were two weeks ago um, as your wife. You know, these things have always been apparent to me as somebody who's very emotionally connected, who's very um, in tune to the the folks around me. And <laughs> this family often laughs about how much I take tone for for truth and tone to these folks in this house mean nothing because they aren't connecting emotionally to it. But for me as a human who is emotionally in tuned probably too much and because of my vision disability in tuned that much more, it it's tricky. It's tricky in this household to, to <laughs> manage emotions, to imagine, uh, it, it manage tones, to manage, all of it. And so it's, it's a very dynamic household, as many of you who know us do, definitely know. Um, what would you say with the intersection of uh, mental health and the veterans? So we've kind of talked about the mental health and being Black or African American. But when you look at that intersection of mental health and veteran status, where do you feel like you fall on that spectrum? Where do you feel like the stigmatism or the stigma lies between those two populations? So you're talking about where's the intersection between being a veteran and a person of color? No, a veteran and mental health. A veteran and mental health. So when you associate those two, is that, oh, you have PTSD, you're a violent crazy guy, or is that is that what people automatically assume with veterans or versus the mental health of trauma and being black? Um, there's two very different dynamics between those two, you know, intersections of veteran and being black or African-American. And so when you look at the veteran population, which you primarily work with, and obviously you are, um, where do you see the difference between those two populations? All right, let me try to navigate this. I, I would say <laughs> typically when a person thinks of a veteran, you know, we think of somebody who served, you know, we think of all the, the hero stuff, you know, we think of, you know, all the, the sacrifice that folks make. But, you know, mm -hmm. when you hear about a veteran with uh, mental health issues, often there is a huge amount of stigma with that, you know, and a lot of veterans mm -hmm. don't even want to disclose they have any mental health issues. Honestly, it's, it, it's because of that very fact that, um, or that stigma that people with mental health are like loose cannons and they, they, they can't deal with it. They don't, they don't know how to navigate it, that they don't have the supports and that they are, and in fact, you know, like that loose cannon or a, a dangerous individual, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and that's what I see a lot in my work. And that's what I see a lot of the stigma with folks. People like, oh, well, he's a veteran. He's dealing with PTSD or he's a veteran dealing with this. You know, there's kind of, you know, maybe no hope or limited hope for that person or, oh, you know, how are we going to deal with this guy? But here's the deal. Um, people experience trauma. People have PTSD. People have anxiety, depression, even in everyday life, whether they've served or not, you know, and, and it's all about really getting the help when and where you need it, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, um, but like I said, a lot, a lot of veterans 
you know, throughout or historically have have not had those services readily available to them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, a lot of the Vietnam era veterans, you know, they came back here and they were not, they did not get a warm welcome. You know, a lot of them dealt with, uh, you know, PTSD. And a lot of times their claims were denied or people weren't there to, or mental health folks weren't there to even validate their experiences, you know? So um, mm. there was a lot of, uh, the, the stigma is, is, is crazy, you know, even like my grandfather who I, he, he was a father figure to me who I absolutely adored. And for the majority of my life, I just wanted to kind of replicate his life and, and, and live up to his uh the way he kind of did things, you know, he, he set my grandmother up, he made sure she had everything she need. He was a, um, a role model African American in his community, a deacon, deacon of a church, but he had PTSD, he did with a lot of a lot of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. that, that folks didn't necessarily know about, you know, and, uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's tough, you know, we, we definitely uh, kind of have to like demystify this idea of, 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 you know, mental health being such a bad thing, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's like, if my, if my legs hurt or if my, you know, my, my, my knee is, you know, um, I have an injury or something, we go get the help we need. You know? mm-hmm. we, we don't even Absolutely. question that. But when it revolves around mental health, people are like, oh, well, you know, it, it's, 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 we get so dramatized and dramatic and don't really realize, uh, you know, it's no different than seeking services for other things. You know, we, we have a need, so we go out there and get the help that we need. And a lot of veterans are so, uh, a lot of folks in the veteran community are so afraid to get the help that they need because often they aren't validated for what they feel. And also that stigma pushes a lot of people away from seeking or getting that help. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I don't know if I answered how that intersection works, <laughs> but, you know. Hello, everyone. This is Emily, and I wanted to take a moment to talk about insurance. How many of you out there do not like dealing with insurance? I was one of those. And when I met Shelly Montevice from Country Financial, that all changed. I didn't understand insurance. I didn't understand what I needed, what I wanted, and why it was so expensive. Well, Shelly took the time. I am working with her on my business insurance for both Rapid and Prairie Consultants, and she helps me make sense of it. She helps me understand what I'm getting, why I'm getting it, and how to make it more affordable. So if you have always thought that insurance is a racket, you need to reach out to Shelly Montevice at Country Financial, and you can find her contact information in the show notes below. And I do hope you reach out and know that you're getting the best service, the best customer care, and the best deal. Whether that's life, car, mortgage, or business insurance like Rapid and Prairie Consultants. Reach out today and I look forward to hearing back from you all. No, and it's perfect. It's, it brings up a lot of other points. And I think that's the big thing is, you know, looking at your story, you've been doing this work for six years. And you're a veteran and you've had mental health for quite some time since we've been married. I can't remember when you were, you know, diagnosed or had medication. But it took you at least six years of knowing the legal ramifications, knowing the benefits you could be receiving, knowing the, the, the different aspects of this diagnosis that has, it, it's taken you that long, six years to file your, your piece 
and it really shows that you know you always as a veteran think there's other people that are you know need it more or that qualify more or that deserve it more and it's so it's like eh, i have these challenges but it's not enough it's not this it's not that and that speaks to a lot of different aspects of culturally maybe and it also speaks to like I, I am not there. Also, if I am classified as as that, then there's that stigma. So there's like these two um, realms of what you're kind of you're thinking about and dealing with in filing that claim. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, it's, um, uh, yeah. A lot of people have gone through significantly more than me, you know. But mm-hmm. even though that may very well be the case, it doesn't lessen how I feel or my experience, you know. And that's the thing. It's we're not as I tell a lot of veterans, you know, it's, it's easy to give advice, but sometimes it's hard to take your own. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what I went through does need to be validated as well. And it was, and uh, we don't need to compare ourselves to others. We're all individuals and we all have our own things, you know, like as, as you experience and navigate the world as a, a person with a vision disability, I don't need to say, oh, well, you know, everything that I'm feeling isn't validated because I see, all the struggles that you have to deal with. I see all the, the intersections that you're trying to navigate, or I see all the, you know, the stigma around what you're doing. You know, I can't always say, oh, well, you know, I need to minimize what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, we all have to deal with what we have going on. We all have to identify with our identity and we all struggle. And, and there's a piece of, that we have to learn to accept and embrace. Mm-hmm. And, and once mm-hmm. we do so, then we can start that journey of healing. Exactly, exactly. And what you said, in, you know, in our last question was, you know, getting help. And that statement, that statement of getting help is so much more than those two words, getting help. Getting help for a veteran means you're weak. Getting help for a piece of person with a disability means you you can't. Um, you know, help in the disability world is a four letter word. Like, don't say that I need help. I can do it by myself. I can I can figure it out. You don't need to help me. I don't need your help. I can do it on my own. And there's so much of that that has resonated in our lives as a man of color, as a man who's a a veteran with a disability, like there's so much of that, like, hey, screw you. If you think you need to help me, I'm going to show you that I can do this on my own. And on the same side as my world of like, hey, Jameson, if you think you need to help me get to work, you can go F off and I'm going to get to work by myself. But that word of I need help and asking for that is so culturally either... I'm going to say this and it, and it might spark something in you too, but it may be so underused and or overused for both of our communities, for the disability community, right. as well as the community of color. Right. And so it's either people are on one end of the spectrum or, or the other. People with disabilities are seen as I need help with everything and, and they're going to use that to their advantage. Or I am going to do this by myself, whether it 
takes me 10 years longer than you or not. But I think that getting help that you spoke to is really big in both of our communities, speaking to just the the Black or African-American community and then to the disability community. So taking the veteran community, Uh not out of this conversation, but they are also like, I'm this superhero that people are seeing me as, and now I have to go ask for help. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's like, it's so the way I boil it down for myself is, you know, I I look at myself as, you know, a strong black man and to, you know, the the, the truth of it all is when you ask for help, that's the actual true sign of strength. You know, it's showing that you, 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 you've really kind of detached yourself from ego. And when you see a need, you, you go and try to get that, get that help or get what you need. And it's the same way as, you know, like if I saw my kids struggling, I would tell them, you know, Go get the help you need. If you need help with schoolwork, get that. If you're experiencing some things, come to me, talk to me. But when it becomes to ourself, you know, it's like me as a as a as a black man, a strong black man. I mean, look, <clears throat> you know, I'm the first one in my family to go to college, get a bachelor's degree in computer science, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, you know, my my parents never did that. You know, I'm I'm one of the first ones in my family to own a home, you know. So I've I've kind of bust through a lot of barriers. And so I'm proud of those things, but those also things kind of fill and build my ego. So when I get to the point that I'm like, ah, you know, I don't necessarily know how to tackle that, you know, the natural thing for me to do or what I've done in the past is just kind of put my head down and drive and push harder when what I really need to do is say, hey, babe, or hey, doc, I need help. You know, mm-hmm. I need I need help mm-hmm. navigating this. And again, like I said, we so often will do that for our for our children or for our loved ones. But you know, swallowing that ourselves and realizing, hey, you know, put the ego down, you know, put all the, the trauma down and and uh, show your true strength and, and get what you need by being vulnerable. That, you know, that's that's the real true sign of strength is the vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do people in here, I know, I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do people in your communities, meaning all of the communities you belong to, do they overuse that at times? <laughs> uh, tease it out for me a little bit more. What do you mean? Meaning asking for help or not even asking for help. But um, when we talk about abusing our minority status or abusing our. <sighs> when I think of it in the disability community, it's people who, you know, overuse the excuse or overuse the disability card and saying, Hey, I'm disabled. I can't do that. Hey, I can't this. I can't do that. Hey, I can't that. I can't do that. And so when we're, we're, we're over abusing that, but it's, it's a combination of not knowing, not being Uh empowered to, and Uh the trauma influencing the worlds we live in. And so not, not looking at each situation without trauma, because we've all been through trauma. Um, I've had traumatic experience around being disabled and people not understanding my vision disability. Uh, and, and I think it goes for every minority community that exists out there. It's just, there's, and, and there's people who overuse it and who are not accurate. Right. And there are people that use, oh, use it um, when they need it. And that's the big distinction. Oh, no, absolutely. I think in, in, in all communities, veteran community, um, people of color community, um, you know, 
uh, men in general, you know, sometimes, you know, and, and the way I boil it down is I, I, you know, I say it like this. Some people have victim mentalities, right? Mm, mm. Some people are going to look for any excuse to complain, right? And I don't mean, you know, that what you feel doesn't mean to need to be validated. And it doesn't mean what you are experiencing is not real. But there's a difference between experiencing something feeling grief or feeling sad about something and then rectifying the issue versus sitting and stewing in it, Hmm. you know, sitting and just doing nothing about it. You know, a lot of problems persist and exist, but if you choose to sit in it and you choose to do nothing but complain about it, that's your reality. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. that's the same as not asking for help. You know, a lot of people can, a lot of people, I say can, a lot of people do bitch and moan about stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at some point, you have to choose to be in that driver's seat and the dictator of your own life. Mm-hmm. You have to choose if you want something different, you have to do something different. You know? Um, and that doesn't negate the discrimination. It doesn't negate the, the barriers that exist out there for those communities, but it still requires that you push through it and you find a way and that you advocate for what you want. Absolutely. You got to feel what you feel. You got to, you got to, you can't, you can't blow over um, the emotional piece of things. Mm -hmm. You definitely have to identify that. But once you have, and you've learned to accept that and you work through that with a counselor or work through that yourself or with the loved one or with your family, you do, you do need to keep pushing forward. You do need to keep moving because once you, you know, you stop moving, you become idle. And when you become idle, then things don't really happen for you. And then you find yourself in more of a kind of negative mindset. And, you know, we can all do just about anything we want, you know, if we're willing to do the work. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it it takes more work for some of us than others. And there's still a way to make it happen if you have the drive and the passion to do it. Absolutely. Okay. So the big one to wrap up, I've been trying to get you on this podcast to talk about (laughs) our marriage for a long time. Right. But, you know, so as a person with a disability, physical disability, I'll say, uh, vision disability, as a person of color, primarily, that's your, you know, identity, as well as a veteran, as well as a veteran with disability. You know, what are the challenges and what are the um, similarities to us as a couple that you see? And I'll answer the same thing after you're done. I guess the challenges I would say is being a, a partner, a spouse of a person with disability is, is, is navigating and balancing the need for independence versus wanting to be helpful. I would say I naturally gap, gravitate towards a fixer. I see a problem. I want to fix it. I don't want anybody to go through anything extra that they don't have to. And so and so many times in my uh, in our relationship, I've you know, I may see struggle to read something I may see you struggle to find something my automatic response is fix it but Mm -hmm. in that automatic response to fix something sometimes what we do is take away somebody's independence they may do it a little differently than us they may take a little bit longer than us to do it but my way is not the right way 
your way is not the right way. And it's a balancing act. And you have to realize you are not always going to get it right. And you need to be okay with that. Mm. And then even emotionally, sometimes when, when, when we both go through our things or you go through something, my deal is I automatically always go to, okay, well, she's telling me a problem. I know the solution. Let me just become solution oriented. I can tell you how to fix that if you would just listen to me. <laughs> but sometimes it's not about that. And oh man, it took so much work for me to learn <laughs> that everything you tell me isn't a problem that needs to be fixed. Sometimes mm-hmm. emotionally, we just need to get it out. Um, I think one of our therapists said it like an emotional garbage can. Sometimes you just got to <laughs> dump it out, fill it out. And that gives us room to, to, to do other things, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. that's still a work in progress for me. And I'm, I'm definitely learning that. And uh, yeah, yeah. It's the, I'd say the biggest thing that I've had to navigate is learning to, to be helpful and also learn how to create an environment that fosters independence And the other piece for me is, um, you know, even for myself, learning how to ask for help and to be emotionally vulnerable. You know, I don't need to always be a rock, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. men so often, so many times, and especially uh, myself as a a black man or African-American man, I always think that I have to be the rock. You know, if all else fails, I got this. But, you know, the cool thing about being married and the cool thing about you know, being married to you, I don't always have to be the rock. Sometimes I can lean on you and that's okay. And that's Mm -hmm. beautiful, you know, because, um, you know, you have your things that you're really good at, which is the emotional realm, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and I have my things that I'm really good at, which is being super OCD about paying things (laughs) and making sure things are done in a timely fashion, Mm -hmm. you know, and, Mm -hmm. and each of those things has has their you know their strength and their value in the relationship and uh and I think though we are very different as you said earlier in the podcast I think we're a beautiful um blend you know so yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely and I think the same um you know goes for me to Jameson it's learning how to navigate um especially as a white woman navigating the difference between racial equity and disability equity um you know there is definitely a bridge don't get me wrong there's definitely a bridge i can understand i can i can build that bridge to being discriminated against i don't know what it's like to be a black man there's no way i'm ever going to get to know because i do not live in that body i do know what it's like to be treated like crap. I do know what it's like to be treated differently. I do know what it's like to have people take me for one thing until they realize I'm visually impaired or blind and then they treat me another way. And so I think for me is really um, relating our experience without discounting either of our experiences. And then on the disability sense, you know, my disability is primarily physical. So, you know, like, like Jameson said, the, the driving when I just want him to offer to pick me up versus me asking him to pick me up because I don't drive. Um, and him then wavering on this independence thing. Is she wanting to be independent or is she not wanting to be independent? And figuring out how to communicate that without demanding it of each other. I think that's been a big thing. It's like, no, I want you to pick me up at the max stop at this time. 
damn it, why didn't you pick me up downtown at work? <laughs> like, <laughs> right, right. And so navigating that, I don't want to demand it because I want him to have um, choices and those things, but also wanting him just like any marriage to offer and say, hey, I'm going to do this. But then when I say no, that he clearly knows that I want to walk home if it's, you know, usually daylight or safe or et cetera, that, yeah, I might want to get my extra steps in, but figuring out how to communicate those things to each other. And with his mental health, it's much different than my physical health. He can often judge whether I'm safe or not. If it's pitch black outside, he's probably going to come pick me up because I can't see, I can see much less than I normally can. But with mental health, and this is probably what, you know, a lot of people are thinking about today, it's like, it's not always apparent um, what to do, how to fix it, quote unquote. Um, We were just talking about this today, Jameson and I, it's like, I don't know how to fix it. If you start the day in this way, I may guess that I just avoid you for the day and let you process through things, whereas you may be actually needing me to check in, but because typically you want me to avoid you, <laughs> right? like I'm making that assumption with mental health. And so as a marriage, as a couple trying to figure out how to be there for each other has been, you know, 10 years in the making. We, we still haven't figured it out to this day, but the fact that we're willing to work on it and we both understand in different realms what it's like to be not understood. Absolutely. I would say one thing that we really, you know, what one key strength that we've really kind of learned to embrace is keeping those lines of communication open. You know, it's, it's not always this fairy tale idea of things. Sometimes I'm open Mm -hmm. to communication. Sometimes I need time to process, you know, and one thing that I really like that we did is, you know, um, we put sometimes a time frame on something, you know, like mm-hmm. if I do need time to process, okay, you'll give me that space to process, but then say, okay, can we maybe talk about this later on tonight? Or can we talk about this by Thursday at this particular time? And that is very respectful of each other's boundaries, where it gives me the space and the availability to process and do what I need to do. Because sometimes when people are, in a, you know, a high emotional curve or state, they, they do not <laughs> they're not ready to they're not ready to divulge all these emotions and feelings at times you know we need to come down a little bit and uh i think that's one thing that we've done that's been very respectful of giving me the space that i need but also not avoiding and and, and putting mm-hmm. it on a time frame that we can we can process and and the same goes for for even stuff with with you you know sometimes you're Jason, I don't want to talk about this right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, why not? The problem needs to be fixed. Let's fix mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. So you're a little better at that part than me, but I, I'm, I'm definitely getting there. And, you know, yeah, so. Well, I think it's the same for both of us. I mean, I think we both are fixers. Uh-huh. And so if we're both, either one of us are at our max, like, no, I'm done. And we set that time limit of, I need... 45 minutes. I need four hours. It doesn't matter what the time limit is. It curves the other person's anxiety. So I know if Jameson says, I need four hours to process this. Great. 
I know we're going to come back to it and resolve it because Jameson could go and never talk about it again, but it will also never get resolved. And my vindictive mind says, oh, well, he didn't do this and he didn't do that. And we talked about this and we talked about that. And then my crazy making happens. And so when I know we're going to come back to it, it eases my anxiety or vice versa. If I'm like, I'm done talking about this, but I'll talk about it in two hours. That eases his anxiety. And so when we're talking about issues that are heated, we have definitely given each other that space. And even just having, I don't even think we've used our code word. Uh, <laughs> so our agreement is that we'll use a code word and then we'll give the time limit in which we individually need. So if I say the code word and I say four hours, we are coming back to it. We're setting a timer in four hours, but that in itself, having that boundary, having that guideline has provided us the comfort to disagree and know that the other person is coming back. And I think that's the key. It's not we're disregarding the other person. It's that we're giving mm-hmm. their space. Absolutely. And I, and I think that's a thing that we've figured out through trial and error. And it <laughs> gives us both our sense of identity. Because for me, I've always tried to carve out a space where I want to be heard. I need to have my own identity. And I think a lot of times in, in marriages, and I can only speak for my own, is, uh, you know, sometimes we get married and we get this concept of we, and we think that we can often cross over others' boundaries, and mm-hmm. um, we don't give each other that that independence and that that respect of our individuality. And I think doing that sometimes, what we do, you know, like okay, we'll come back to that, gives me the space and the independence to say, okay, I want to process, I want to be me, I want to feel what I feel, and not explain it to you in this moment, mm-hmm. but then also come back to together and discuss it as a couple and how we can work through it or how you can support me or vice versa you know Mm -hmm. so at the same time you know I'm getting my my own level of independence my own self-love but then again I'm coming back to us and I'm putting in the emotional love bank for us of growing together as a couple you know and and really investing in us so it's a it's a it's a win-win honestly to me yeah and definitely. And then I think that also gives the opportunity to hear our perspectives as humans with differences. I mean, Absolutely. like we said, they started this off. We are completely opposite. I'm white. You're black. I'm this. You're that. You're that. I mean, in everything we do, it doesn't matter what it is. There's very rarely that we are like, oh, yeah, me too. No, we are pretty much right, right. stark opposites. And so when you are able to come together and see it through that lens, I can see it through Jameson's lens and he can see it through my lens. Oh, I could see how you perceive this that way. And I'm sorry. And this is how I perceived it. And I'm like, no, that's not how I perceived it. And then we can come to a a common ground. And I think that's the key to what we are still working on. So trust me, we're not a perfect couple. We still fight just like every other couple out there. But finding these kind of tips and tricks has really helped us in, especially in COVID, being both working from home, here 24 seven with two kids and being all the roles we have to be. So oh, absolutely. Any, yeah. anything else you want to wrap up with before we get, we, we end. It, one pointer that I really like that we, that I think we both discovered is in those heated moments, I've learned <laughs> to steer away from proving your point. <laughs> You know, I, I definitely have changed that 
uh, fairly recently, always try to come from a perspective of love. It's there, there, there's no winners in this stuff. You know, it's uh, come from a perspective of love, not to prove a point because mm -hmm. when you, when you, when you try to, you know, come out on top, then somebody's got to lose. Yeah. But when you come from a perspective of love, you know, you can both grow together and, and you're both going to learn together. So. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you, husband from the other room for joining me. Oh yeah. And thank you all for joining us today. And we just want to emphasize, you know, we all are different, whether it's our skin color, whether, whether it's our ability, our age, our race, whatever the case may be, we are all different and we've got to find a way, a way to live in this world together. So embrace it, love it, celebrate it. And we look forward to hearing from all of you and we will be back next week. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me here today at Human Is My Label. Don't forget to subscribe, share this with your friends, families, and coworkers. Get out there, get comfortable with the uncomfortable, include everyone, and push yourself to be better every day. If you're interested in coaching or corporate training or learning more about RAPID, visit us at rapidorgan.org. That's R-A-P-I-D-O-R-E-G-O-N.org. You can find me at emily.purry on Instagram and all my other social handles are below. Have a great day and I can't wait to see you next week.